Banfield Pet Hospital is a proud member of the Mars Inc. family, which includes Mars Pet Care, a leading provider of pet nutrition. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Hannah Shot is not available. At the tone, please record your message. This is Stevie, and my dog's name is Ivy. I took Ivy to the vet this week, and they said that she's overweight. I take her for daily walks and regular trips to the dog park, and I already have her on special food to manage her weight. I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. Any advice you could share? You're listening to Not Just Fluff, pet wellness from Banfield Pet Hospital, hosted by me, Hannah Shaw, animal advocate, otherwise known as the kitten lady. If you're like me, you love your animals a lot, but they can't talk and it can be tough to know what they really need. Not Just Fluff is here to provide you with actionable tips and science-backed advice from reputable professionals who really understand pet care. They say you are what you eat, and if that's the case for our animal friends, then of course we want them to eat only the best. But with so many options on the shelves, how can we know which food is the right food for our cats and dogs, or how much we should be feeding them? This week, we're talking all about nutrition, weight, and understanding how to feed our animals to meet their needs and keep them healthy. To help us explore this topic, I'm joined today by Jennifer Rodine, a registered veterinary technician and practice manager at Banfield Pet Hospital in Lacey, Washington. Jennifer currently has three dogs, three cats, and a horse. She has a bachelor's degree in animal sciences from Washington State University, as well as an associate's degree in veterinary technology from Pierce College. She has an active veterinary technician license in Washington State, and her passion at work is client education, specifically with regards to nutrition. Outside of work, she enjoys going camping, boating, and hiking with her two boys. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I hear that you have three dogs and three cats. Your house sounds like it is so full of love and joy. Could you start by just kind of telling us a little bit about your animals and your house? Yes. Um, I have three dogs. I have a German Shepherd that is uh, 15. I have an Australian Shepherd that is 10 and a Corgi that is 2. Um, I also have three cats, um, two brothers, and I just acquired a new kitten this last June. So she's decided to take over the house. Her name is Poppy. Oh, that sounds amazing. I love that a kitten is like the ringleader of all of these animals. That sounds just about right to me. (laughs) Yes, she quickly asserted her authority. Ah, well, Jennifer, I know you have a love of sharing your knowledge about animal nutrition, and I'm super grateful that you're here today to talk about that with us. Before we dive in, I'm wondering if you have a story about a patient or even one of your personal animals that you've cared for where their life has been improved through proper nutrition. I do. And when I was asked to do this, I'm going to ask to share a story. Um, I've been in the veterinary industry over 30 years. So of course I have lots of stories. Um, but one just kept coming to the forefront of my mind. Um, it's very personal to me because it is about my own pet. And the reason that it's kept coming to the forefront of my mind is because it encompasses um, the environmental factors that can be related to pets and, and obesity and things that my dog, she didn't have control over it or changes I was making in my life that affected her life. 
And years ago when I acquired her, and I'm speaking to my Australian Shepherd that's 10 now, we lived on a farm. We had 40 acres. She ran all day long with me while I was working the farm, whether she was walking next to me or she was running alongside the tractor. She had lots and lots of activity in her life. At a point in my life, I found myself having to make a change and move closer to family, which in turn put her in a neighborhood with a fenced backyard. So her activity level severely decreased. We also were moving in with my parents at the time because I was making the transition and looking to buy my own home. So as I was starting a new career in a new city, she was left home alone with grandpa, who decided she wasn't (laughs) getting enough food to eat um, and thought she needed more food (laughs) along with treats. You know, every time she would go outside, she'd get a treat. Pretty soon, she ended up gaining weight because she wasn't getting the exercise that she was used to. And uh, she wasn't, uh, she was getting more food than she was used to. And then what I could control after I was able to purchase my own home and move out, um, I was able to control her diet a little bit more. And I've been working on her weight loss journey for about a year. And we've been able to pull about 15 pounds off of her. So she's back down to a normal weight. Wow, that's significant. I mean, it's very interesting to hear the way that lifestyle played such a role in her story. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. We have a lot to get through. I have so many questions for you. Um, I want to start with a very basic question, which is just, why is nutrition important for our animal friends? And what are some of the consequences of poor nutrition? Definitely nutrition um, plays a big part, a big role in preventative care. In our industry right now, we have one out of two dogs and cats are considered to be overweight or obese. Um, and unfortunately, this has become normal for our pets. That is really interesting. Um, I mean, what are some of the consequences of obesity in our animals? You say it's it's so common now. Uh, what are we seeing happening in relation to their weight? Um, so obesity um, can certainly be a gateway to associated disease conditions. A uh, pet that is overweight may be at risk for diseases such as degenerative joint disease, endocrine disorders, and respiratory problems. So we've got a lot to get through. I have tons of questions for you. I would love to just start with a basic question, which is why is nutrition important for our animals? Nutrition is one of the most important parts of uh, preventive care that we can provide our pets, Um, whether it be feeding a puppy, an adult dog, or a senior dog. um, The foods that we feed our dogs can determine their long-term health, and feeding a proper life-stage food is extremely important. I know that when people go to shop at a pet supply store, you know, you see just aisles and aisles and aisles of like colorful bags with cats or dogs on them. And it can be very overwhelming if you're not used to shopping for these products. Um, I know a lot of people kind of just go with based on price or maybe based on what branding appeals to them. But what should people actually be looking for when they are food shopping? We, we want to, to guide owners to look for um, a food that does provide a life stage food that also provides a fixed formula um, for that pet that gives them the proper 
nutrition for where that pet's at in its life. And so it's important that we we direct owners and guide owners to look for a food that is appropriate for their pet, again, for its appropriate life stage and breed and size of the pet, whether it's a, a large breed dog or a small breed dog, a young kitten or an older cat. There's also foods that help promote healthy coats might help with urinary issues. There's a whole plethora of different options out there for owners. So when somebody is at the store and they're looking at all these bags and trying to figure out, like, what am I getting for my cat or my dog? As a human, I might look at the nutrition facts on the back of something. Is there some kind of information on a bag or a case of animal food that is like nutrition facts? And how can people learn how to read that? So there are definitely nutrition facts on bags of foods. It doesn't tell you the whole story, though. It will give you the ingredients listed um, by volume first. So the, the ingredients that waste the most is first. And it also gives you percentages of ingredients. So minimum protein and minimum fat. However, we can't necessarily compare those because they are minimums. They don't tell us exactly what's in the bag. Um, so going to the manufacturer to get to the actual percentages on a dry matter basis is really the way to go. And we in the veterinary industry have those resources available to us. So we can actually compare, you know, apples to apples with the foods. It's really hard to compare the information on a bag of food because it's not, it's not a hundred percent. I've also heard that there's differences in how things are labeled. Like there's a difference between saying it's chicken flavored versus it's chicken. Um, is there any information that people should be aware of with any of the kind of labeling of what is inside of the food? There is, and now you're going to test me, sorry. <laughs> the AFCO, the American Association of Feed Control Officials, regulates the terminology used on the bag and the different types of terminology will let you know what percent of ingredients is actually in that food. And so the terminology is really important to understand and consumers don't always understand um, the differences in the terminology on the bags of food. Yeah, this is why I'm glad we're having this conversation because I know when I look at a bunch of different options, you know, unless you are educated on this subject, you might really not have an easy time of discerning those differences. Is there anything that people should be avoiding when they're shopping for food? Like you see that and it's a no-no? I always look for a food that, once again, is a life stage food. So there are foods that are formulated for what we consider all life stages. And the most demanding life stage of a pet is going to be either a kitten or a puppy. And so if you see a bag of food that says it's formulated for all life stages, that is essentially feeding to a puppy or a kitten. And that's definitely not going to be appropriate for, you know, adults or a senior dog. Um, and, and that statement is required to be on all bags of food. One thing I like to do is, is teach owners how to look for those things when we're trying to, to pick a food that's appropriate for their pet. You talk about life stages, and that's what I would love to dive into. You know, I am a, a bottle baby foster parent, so I take care of kittens and puppies. And when I'm weaning them onto solids, I'm definitely choosing a kitten or a puppy diet. I think some people don't realize that there are these different 
life stage diets. Can you talk about what might be different from, say, a puppy food versus a senior dog food? Sure. Uh, definitely a puppy food. Puppies are growing. They have a much higher demands on their bones and muscles than a senior dog. And a senior dog, we would want to see a food that was probably re reduced in protein to help support its kidneys. They don't need as much protein in their lives. They don't need as much calcium phos phosphorus because they are not growing. And we want to support their organs. And a puppy food would not be appropriate for that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when you think about even outside of nutrition, just what animals need as a baby versus as a senior is quite different. So it makes sense that there's these different diets that meet their needs. At what age would you switch a kitten or a puppy onto their adult diet? So that is not a necessarily straightforward question, only because we have different sizes, especially spot size dogs. With cats, you would want to see that adjustment maybe around a year of age. With dogs, small breed dog versus a large breed dog, there's lots of variability. Smaller breed dogs, we're going to recommend around a year of age again to transition to an adult food. That is fascinating. I had no idea that the life stages would change depending on the dog's size. That's really interesting. And now what about switching to senior? I know for me, when my animals have become seniors, I'm very, I just feel defiant about it. I'm like, no, they're not a senior. They're still just a baby. But, you know, if we want to extend their health and help them live healthy lives in their golden years, we do have to kind of admit it's time to put them on a senior diet. So when would you recommend doing that? So with cats, in, um, we recommend around seven years of age um, to transition them to senior formulated food. Small and medium dogs, we would recommend around seven as well. And then the giant breed dogs, around five years of age, which doesn't sound like it's very old, but again, their lifespan isn't as long as our smaller dogs. So they are considered to be seniors at a younger age. I'd love to talk a bit about some of the therapeutic and prescription diets that are available out there. Unfortunately, I have a lot of experience with this because I tend to take on the animals that <laughs> need a little bit of extra help from the veterinarian. Um, can you talk about the cases in which it might be appropriate to talk to your vet about a prescription diet? Well, you definitely would want your veterinarian's opinions um, and input on these. And it would be you know, determined by your veterinarian whether or not a prescription diet would be warranted for your pet. Prescription diets can be used to help with skin conditions, you know, kidney disease, diabetics, uh, obesity. We even have uh, prescription diets to help with dental disease. I have a cat who is on a renal diet, so to support his kidneys, and it has made such a difference as part of his overall care plan. Uh, I've seen it make a world of difference, so uh, definitely important for people to be aware that uh, those diets exist. Yes. Number, with kidney disease in particular, um, food is the number one thing that we use um, to help support that disease. I think one of the first questions that people have when they, you know, take home their first cat or dog is whether they should be buying wet food or dry food. Can you kind of talk about the difference between those two uh, types of food and what's your perspective? What's the benefit of each? 
I guess it also depends on if you're talking about a dog or a cat, because the recommendations are different for each. Um, certainly with cats, um, they're looking at more of a recommendation to, of adding canned food in to their diets. It allows them to add more moisture into their diet without drinking more water, which is something that um, cats aren't always good at. Dry food is certainly easier for us to feed than wet food. And sometimes if for owners, it boils down to cost. Um, you know, what is the most cost effective for them? Canned food is going to be more costly than dry food. But there's certainly a combination of both would be just fine, depending upon if you're feeding a dog or a cat, again, a puppy or a kitten. Um, sometimes palatability is an issue. If the pet doesn't like dry food, wet food would be something that would be wanted. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about where preference comes in. You know, I am such a foodie myself. Um, eating is my favorite time of the day. <laughs> and I, you know, want the animals that I love to enjoy eating too. So how much does preference play a role in food selection for animals? Certainly with cats, it, it plays a higher role with dogs. Um, you know, cats like to be able to smell their food. And if they don't like the smell of it, they're not going to eat it. So cats, are a lot more particular. Dogs certainly can be too, but I think as owners, we probably overthink that and allow them to be pickier than what they really are. <laughs> you know, if your dog doesn't eat um, food one day, you'll go out and buy another bag of food and try that. And in turn, we end up making them pickier than they really are by switching out the foods. How would you recommend navigating introducing a new food to your animal if they are picky about it? Like if you show your dog food and they just totally turn their nose up at it, what's your recommendation? So we would want to first make sure that we're feeding an appropriate food and look for another appropriate food and, and do a slow transition because we don't want to cause any digestive upset when we are transitioning. We also want to make sure that we don't have any underlying medical conditions that is making them not want to eat the food. But trying different foods is it's okay if they're not eating. We just don't want to continuously try them um, if they have an off day because we'll, we'll just perpetuate the cycle. You know, raw food diets have become very popular over the last few years, but there are some risks associated with feeding raw diets. Can you share a bit about what people should know if that's something they're considering? Raw foods in the veterinary industry, for the most part, are not recommended because of the, um, you know, the bacteria and the salmonella and everything that that the pets and us can get from the raw foods. Yeah. As an aside, I also don't feed, I don't feed raw diets to any of my animals, but years and years ago, I had one kitten with some issues that I ended up being recommended to try it with him. And guess what he ended up with? Salmonella. <laughs> so um, that, that was a real eye opener for me. Um, I, I think there would certainly be cases where maybe that's your only option. Um, and I would recommend owners partnering with a, a veterinary nutritionist to do it the correct way if that's what they were wanting to do. So how can people know how often they should be feeding their cat or dog and also the volume they should be feeding? 
So volume, we can certainly calculate based on their body condition um, at the time and whether or not they are an ideal weight or if they're overweight and need to lose weight. We can determine how many calories they need to have in a day. And then we can go to the manufacturer and find out how many calories are in that food, whether it be a wet food or a dry food. And we can figure out what the portion is that they need in that day. And then we take that portion and we divide it into how many feedings we would be, whether it be two or three. Younger pets, typically we want to feed more often during the day or, you know, more times throughout the day than an older pet. I feed mine twice a day, which works for me because I'm gone most of the day. I'm sure they would eat more often if I if I let them. Yeah. So when you say go to the manufacturer and like divide the amount of times they're eating, like it could probably sound a little overwhelming to people who have never had to do that research or do that math. I think uh, a takeaway I'm getting is that we should be having these conversations with our veterinarians who you know, know how to look at this stuff and um, tell you exactly what to do. Do you think that that's an important conversation to have, you know, as part of your, your wellness appointments? Yes, I 100% think that's an important conversation. Um, and going back to the story of my dog, that's what I did for her. I figured out how much how much she should be eating in a day, how much how many calories were in a cup of food, and then I took that and divided it up. We also want to make sure that we are incorporating our treats into our calculation because treats can add in just as many calories, if not more, than the food that we are feeding. Ideally, treats should factor in no more than 10% of their daily calorie intake. So I'd love to start talking a bit about weight. You told an amazing story of your dog, and we actually had a caller, Stevie, who called in about his dog, Ivy. Uh, He says that she is a bit overweight despite all of his efforts to give her regular exercise and proper diet. What would you recommend for a dog like Ivy? I would want to, to first off, find some more information about her. What kind of dog is she? How old is she? Does she have any underlying health issues? Have we checked her for thyroid disease? What food is she currently feeding? A cup of one type of food is not necessarily equal to a cup of another type of food um, as far as the calories in each type. So I would sit down um, and see where she's at, what body condition she is at right now, what she's feeding, how much she's getting, and go from there and formulate a plan to either change her diet or keep her on her current diet, um, but know what an appropriate amount of food she should be eating is. I know that obesity is becoming a very common uh, condition in both cats and dogs, and it can lead to other health concerns, right? Can you talk a bit about the impact that weight has on an animal's health? Yes. Um, obesity is does set pets up to be at higher risk for de- degenerative joint disease, um, endocrine disorders, and respiratory problems. Um, we see lots of heavy overweight dogs that end up with arthritis. They are more prone to cruciate ruptures. And then it also puts them at risk for surgery if we have to do surgery on them. Are there differences between the way that obesity affects dogs and cats? The types of diseases that manifest would be different. Cats are more likely to become diabetic if they're overweight whereas dogs are probably going to be more prone to have the degenerative joint diseases. Hmm. But in either case, it's very important that we're 
you know, maintaining a good weight for them. How can people know if their animal is within an ideal weight range? So consulting with your veterinarian would be the first step because obesity is so common in our pets. Some of our owners don't even realize that their pets are overweight. We rate scale uh, pets on a scale of one to nine with nine being extremely obese. Most owners or most pets are going to fall between five and nine. So consulting with your doctor to see where your pet is at on that scale would be the first step. And how can your veterinary team help your animal reach or maintain an ideal weight? What does that partnership look like? Uh, so we can, first of all, determine where the pet is at on the the body condition scale. We can help them prioritize healthy activities for their pets. Um, they make active feeders for dogs and cats that encourages them to move while they're eating. We can also encourage owners to do regular walks um, and even things such as doggy daycare. If the owner has to work all day and, and can't do walks, taking them to a doggy daycare. We can also help them uh, track their weight. So it's important that we get a baseline on where the pet is at decide where we need it to be and track their progress. Um, are we making progress and are we making the progress we want to make? And if we are not making that progress, what adjustments do we need to make to get there? We can also help owners change their habits. Um, a lot of the extra calories that we feed our pets is because of begging. <laughs> and my dogs are no different. You know, one thing we can do is if our, if our, Pets are used to getting a treat every time they go into their crates or every time they go outside, cut that treat in half. You're still giving a treat, but they're getting less calories by doing it. So just subtle changes that can make big differences. We also want to find an appropriate food for them so that they can lose weight and still have the proper nutrition that they need in the process, whether that be a therapeutic diet or a non-therapeutic diet. And again, measuring out the portions, calculating out what how many calories they need in a 24-hour period, and then determining how many calories are in the food and the treats so we can come up with a plan for that. I loved something that you mentioned, which was about feeders that help them eat in a more active fashion. I'm a big fan of puzzle feeders for my cats, um, and I feel like it is not just physically stimulating for them, but also like it is mentally stimulating for them. It's like they have to do a bit of a hunt. Can you talk a little bit about that for people who maybe have never heard of like enrichment feeders before? So they have these activity feeders that you put the food in and the pet has to either, some of them are simple as just rolling it around for the food to come out. Others have to literally make it a puzzle and and think to be able to get the food out. And not only does it make them move to do it, but it slows down their eating. So they they get fuller faster, even though um, they might not be eating as much. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of this information. If there is one takeaway that our listeners could take from this conversation when it comes to nutrition, what would you want it to be? Um, my one takeaway would be knowing how many calories your pet should be eating in a day and calculating that out so that you um, are feeding them appropriately to to prevent obesity, to prevent some of these disorders that they can get because of obesity. I can really tell how passionate you are about this subject. How did you learn so much about nutrition and what made you so passionate about it? 
So one of the programs that speared my interest in this subject is our pet nutrition advisor program that we have available to our licensed technicians. And this program is designed to help educate technicians about the importance of nutrition for pets um, and help technicians partner with their veterinarian and the owners to find the proper diet for each pet. Banfield's here to provide you and your pet with smart, affordable, high-quality pet care so you can worry less about the vet and wellness stuff and instead enjoy life with your BFF. That's why we created Optimum Wellness Plans. Our plans aren't insurance. They're year-long bundles of preventive care custom-built for the pet you love. Plans include unlimited in-office visits, 24-7 chat for general pet health advice, virtual vet visits, vaccines, dental cleanings, discounts, and more. Optimum Wellness Plans. Essential pet care made easy. Learn more by clicking the link in the show notes or visit us at banfield.com. So now we are going to give each other some fast facts about animal nutrition. Uh, My first fast fact is going to be about baby animal nutrition, since that's the population I work with. And um, that is that you cannot just feed the cow milk out of your fridge uh, to baby orphaned animals. So, you know, if you have a kitten or a puppy who has become orphaned and they're not able to nurse on a lactating mom. You know, people see bottle feeding is is what you do, but you really want to have a formula that actually meets their nutritional needs. So cow milk is really designed to feed herbivorous baby cows. And it happens that, you know, kittens are obligate carnivores and and puppies are omnivores. And so they have very different dietary needs from a baby cow. Um, That is just a really important thing to know that there are lots of um, commercial formulas available that meet the needs of neonatal kittens and puppies. Um, But please do not reach for the milk in your fridge. Not only is cow milk not good to feed, but formulating our own foods at home and and feeding human foods to our animals is also not recommended for a variety of reasons. They don't process things the same way we do, and the nutritional requirements are different than what we have. Um, If owners want to feed a homemade diet, um, I would recommend consulting a veterinary nutritionist to make sure that you have the proper amount of macro and micro ingredients in that diet so that your pet is getting everything it needs. Yeah, thank you for that because I think that it can be tempting for people to do a home-cooked meal for their cat or dog, but unless you are a a nutritionist who specializes in cats and dogs, you probably are not going to be able to give them the exact diet they need. My second fast fact is that cats are obligate carnivores, and that means that they rely on a diet that consists primarily of meat. Um, This is an important one for me because I am personally vegan. And a lot of people will ask me, oh, well, then what do you feed your cats? And I just say, well, what do you think I feed my cats? They're obligate carnivores. So I just want to say all, if any vegans are listening to this, you know, don't get any ideas there. These 
Cats are obligate carnivores, and they are depending on us to feed them a diet that's healthy for them. So they have a need for essential amino acids they can only get from meat, nutrients that they can only get from animal sources. Uh, So yes, if you are caring for a cat, you need to feed them the appropriate diet. And along those same lines, dogs are not obligate carnivores. They they do not require high levels of protein in their diet. And I think we um, see a lot of advertising, um, high levels of protein. Now, that's not always appropriate for certain life stages of pets. Um, we certainly don't want to be feeding a high level of protein food to a senior dog. And dogs do not need high levels of protein like cats do um, to survive. So interesting. See, this is why I think it's very important that we talk with experts on this show. And when we go to our veterinarian's office, that we are having these conversations. These are things that I think a lot of people might not realize. So thank you so much for all of the great information. And thanks for everything that you do for animals. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I think the big takeaway for me is that if you're caring for an animal companion, being informed about their nutritional needs is just as important as knowing how to feed yourself. And talking with your vet about the health of your specific cat or dog can really help you make smarter choices when it comes to how you feed them. I hope that this conversation was interesting food for thought for you, and thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Not Just Fluff, pet wellness from the pros at Banfield Pet Hospital. Make sure to get your paws on the like and subscribe button so you don't miss an episode.